0: You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% of the life and career of the biggest-selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Yes, welcome once again to another episode from Elvis, the Ultimate Fan Channel. My guest today is British writer Ray Connolly. He's best known for his journalism and for writing the screenplays for the films That'll Be The Day and its sequel, Stardust, for which he won a Writers Guild of Great Britain Best Screenplay Award. He wrote for the London Evening Standard, where he interviewed many 60s and 70s rock stars and cultural icons, including The Beatles, Muhammad Ali, and of course, Elvis Presley. He is the author of the best-selling book, Being Elvis, A Lonely Life. Hi, Ray, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, So, a little bit of background then. Um, Your first brush with Elvis would have been August 1969?
1: That was when I met him. My first brush with him was in, uh, I think, February or March 1956, but when I met him was August 69, yeah, in Las Vegas.
0: Ah, right. So, 1956, uh, just explain what you mean by that.
1: Well, um, it's hard to explain to people who don't remember, who weren't there, but basically... Before Elvis, I mean, John Lennon said this, but before Elvis, there was just popular music, which was Guy Mitchell and Frankie Lane, these sort of people. And suddenly we heard this extraordinary sound, and it was Elvis, it was rock and roll, it was Heartbreak Hotel. Um, And it it, it kind of galvanized, if that's the right word, galvanized um, a whole generation of boys who were age 15. 15 is very important. In these things because that's when you, uh, you're most impressionable and if you look through you see that john lennon bob dylan uh paul simon they were all 15 when elvis came along and that's no coincidence you know that sort of that turned them on to be oh that there's another way of doing this and um i can't really tell you explain the excitement to hear heartbreak hotel and then to buy the next few records you could you could hardly afford them to be honest they're very expensive Uh, I think they cost five and sixpence, Uh, which was a lot of money in those days. Oh, it would have been, yes. It's it's like 26 26 pence or whatever that that is in cents. I don't know, twenty or euros, I don't know. But um, it was quite, I mean, that would be your entire, um, more than your entire um, pocket money for the week, you know. Yeah. But But it was worth it, you know, it was extraordinary. And suddenly, at the time, at the time, I was, my best friend and I would go and find Roman coins. This is a true story. Roman coins in a little, in a stream near where we lived in Lancashire. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but when Elvis came, I I just forgot the Roman coins completely. And I gave all mine to him. And he, luckily he married my wife's sister. I mean, it it was a small town. I've got a, (laughs) that small town. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but Elvis took over completely my life. And in a way, he probably helped shape my life to a large extent because, you know, I, in, those days, I, in those days I had a very bad stammer and I was sort of invisible. I wasn't a great sporting hero at school, but I was the Elvis expert, which was really important. I had something going for me. And that kind of, it did actually change my life a bit, I think.
0: Okay. And then, and then you say the, the first time you met him, though, in the flesh would have been... August 1969.
1: That was the only time I met him. Yes, August 69. Um, and
0: how did I, that come about?
1: Well, great, great good fortune again. Uh, I'd got this fantastic job on the London Evening Standard, where I was interviewing uh, rock stars and, but other people too, people like James Baldwin and Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. and you know, but people of cultural interest in the in the late 60s. I had my own page once a week, and a friend of mine. Was friendly with the colonel with colonel parker the aptly named colonel parker and uh, inaptly and nice. um, uh, he said i could get you to him if you can get to las vegas so i i said okay i'll get there somehow and i talked my editor into letting me go and when we got to the to the um, hotel in las vegas you know i was there with uh, terry o'neill famous photographer who yes. died recently? Yeah. And I and me and, and this guy called Chris Hutchins, and we hung around for days waiting to get the call from Elvis, and it was, sort of went on forever. And um, then suddenly, about ten thirty one night, in between shows, because he did two shows a night, we got a call. You've got to go now. And we were in a bar or something, and we just, yeah. we we flew up to the fifteenth like floor, whatever it was, and go in. And there's Elvis sitting with his memphis mafia the guys about yeah. five of them. and um interesting thing was when we walked in he immediately stood up and greeted us yeah yeah and the other guys sort of looked said, like, like who are these guys you know which is really really unwelcome but elvis was very polite and we all sat down and talked together chris hutchins terry o'neill me and the colonel was on one side watching us the whole time.
0: Watching you uh, like a hawk, probably.
1: He just well, yeah, so I felt. I mean, at one point I said, uh, kind of rude, really. Why do you make all those crummy films? Something <laughs> like that. I mean, Mega didn't do it crummy, but the idea was there that, that, that you know they were rotten films. And Elvis uh, tried to explain, and I sort of saw the the eye shift to the colonel back to him, back to me you know, a couple of times. It was that interesting that sort of thing, where he was. He, he, he knew how rotten they were. Yes. Uh, and he was embarrassed by them. He said, I'd be being honest if I didn't admit that. I'd be being dishonest if I didn't admit that uh, they weren't very good, that that sort of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where he was, you know. Uh, so we had about 20 minutes, maybe, maybe half an hour, because he was friendly enough. What I remember most about him, though, was he had this, he said he'd never again make a record he'd sing a song he didn't believe in well he did, he did Yeah. Uh, and he'd never again make a movie that he didn't believe in, well he never did because nobody asked him, because he couldn't get any Hollywood films off and he was going to tour the world, he was going to come to England because he had a lot of fans here and all this sort of stuff well, there was, um,
0: the, 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 uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Ray, but actually, there, there,
1: there was a, a case,
0: wasn't there, in 1975 when uh, Barbara Streisand offered him the part in uh, yeah. a Star is Born, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was uh, five years further on. Yeah, and she got offered off the part and they talked about it and he was keen. The his, his parents said he was very keen. And then the colonel band began putting up reasons why he, why he shouldn't do it. Mm. One of which was he wouldn't be the leading leading artist in it, she would be hmm. and, and she was producing it and her boyfriend was directing it and he'd be, which is all true um, and little by little he kind of I, I understand lost interest a bit, but the colonel put him off it um, maybe the colonel had an ulterior motive maybe he was thinking, maybe the colonel thought Elvis was actually just about past it, because by that time he was not not in a good state now, uh, some of his friends say, "Well, if he'd done it, he'd have got, it, he'd have got it in a good state."
0: Well, that's but, true, yes.
1: Yeah, because he was very good at sort of, you know, when he before he did the Baloha from Hawaii thing, he, he got himself in a good state, did it, and then fell back into the drugs again. Mm. So maybe, maybe he would have done that. We'll never know. But but he, he turned it down, and Chris Christopherson got got the gig, and it's a shame, really, because because. It was better than he knew he was. He he could be better. He needed better material, like in Creole, or, or you know, he needed that stuff. You if you're going to do it. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe he, uh, he was sort of himself either.
0: Yeah, that- I mean, I, I know. I always felt he needed a challenge, and and when yes. he was when he was faced with a challenge, he he would rise to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you say, Aloha, and the 1968, uh, what they call the comeback special.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but I think by 1975, Vegas had become a millstone around his neck. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: He was bored
0: to he was bored to death by 1975. I think.
1: But it must have been because you know um, he was playing the same, doing the same songs, touring America, and the the gigs were getting smaller. It wasn't as though he was playing New York and Los Angeles all the time. Mm. He was playing quite small cities. Yeah, really. And you know and people would go and see him as though it it was like, you'd go and see the Empire State Building because you'd seen it, you know. They weren't all fans, they were people who it's Elvis, you've got to go and see Elvis, because he's like the Queen, you've got to go and see the Queen. If she's she's in town, you're going to go and see her. Um, Or whatever, you know. Um, And, you know, the important thing to him should have been the music, and it became, but he needed the money always. I mean, the worst case of Talent being misused—you never, never see a, a worse one than that. Because yes. we always needed money, yeah. partly because he gave it away a lot, and partly because he got ripped off uh, all the time. You know, uh, but by...
0: apparently uh, Parker had a terrible gambling habit as well. Yes, yeah. He yeah. was—he de- was—he was deep into debt with the hotel.
1: You know, when when he died, he had no money left at all. But Parker hadn't, and he must have earned hundreds of millions. Yes, it was gone. Yeah. And you, you think this is incredible and that Elvis trusted him with his career which is a heartbreaking thing. I mean the first the initial deal they did when he got the um, the songwriting thing, you know the the, the publishing thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Elvis personal Music it was it was a disaster because it meant he was getting at first you'd get you'd get good songwriters who would write for you, but then they were going to say why would I do this? Why? You know, if the colonel had any brains at all, and he didn't, in this in, not musically he didn't, it it is sort of said in the early sixties, mid sixties, listen, we need some new songwriters because the songs we're getting aren't very good. You know, they fill the films. You know, twelve songs per film. Why don't we? Why don't we ask all the top songwriters of the time? You know, the Paul Simons and the Lennon McCartney's. To write a song for Elvis, they'd have leapt at it. But they wouldn't have leapt at it if they had to give away half the songwriting publishing to yeah to Kurt and Elvis. They wouldn't yeah. have done that. But they were, you know, the thrill of them of to John Lennon would have been fantastic.
0: Yes, yeah. But, I mean, Parker was. It was all about money for Parker. The now money, as yeah. much money and as quickly as he could.
1: He never understood what he had. He no. just thought it, it'll it'll soon end and make the most, you know, make as much money as we can before it all ends. And yeah. of course, of course, he had a lot more than that, but he never really realised it. You know?
0: Well, it was his carny background, wasn't it? I think that sort of that's the reason why he he he, he called Elvis at times my attraction. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it was he was a sideshow in in in, in yeah. a carnival.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, and it, you know, his background was really I mean, the thing about it is a, it was it was a Dutch immigrant. Yes. When I met him, it was never talked about, but he had a this sort of this funny accent. And I thought, maybe it's one that, you know, in middle America, there are people with, with slight German accents because of their background, you know. I thought, well, maybe it's that, maybe. And actually, I didn't know he was Dutch. Elvis, I don't think, knew he was Dutch until quite late on. Uh, it was an illegal... Yeah,
0: it. yeah. it's, it, it's I, I, I lean towards, actually, <laughs> El, Elvis knowing, actually. Yeah. and I'll and I'll tell you the reason why is because in the 60s the early 60s did not one of Colonel well, Parker's uh, brothers come over and visit him in Hollywood when Elvis was working on a movie and Elvis would have met him now there's there's that story yeah. now how true that yeah. is I don't know but Elvis should have put two and two together there maybe Elvis just didn't want to know
1: yeah well that's another yeah you you, you had your head in the sand the other thing is of course the colonel never ever went to germany no. When Elvis was in Germany for two years, he never saw him. Mm-hmm. You sort of think any other manager would have been out there talking to him, making plans. Yeah. None of that. So he clearly couldn't leave the U.S. because he was scared he wouldn't get back in again.
0: Which now, is, whether whether he gave Elvis some story about oh, there's too much to do while you're away. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to be in the states or something like that. I don't yeah. know. I, I think Elvis could have had an inkling that he was an illegal immigrant. You know, but he just didn't want to know. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't there. (laughs) No, well, this
0: is it. We're we're only surmising now. If if we're going
1: uh, back. The person who should know, um, I think we should ask Priscilla. Because she would know.
0: Yes, that's right. Because
1: he he would tell her, wouldn't he? say, you know what? He's not even American, that guy. But um, I don't know. She's never mentioned it either.
0: No, that's right. That's right. Just if we can go back then to when you were yeah. speak when you were speaking to him in 1969, um, yeah. what what was he actually like to meet?
1: It was it was actually well, yeah. One thing I remember specifically because I told you I had had a very bad stammer until I mean even then, and he very quickly noticed. Yeah, you would, and turned to me. In a very sort of kind way and, and spoke quietly to me as though, you know, um, it's the kind of things people do with, 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 with stammerers, you know, they, they sort of make it easy for them, you know, and, and, and pay more attention, um, that sort of thing. So it's that, but he was extremely friendly. Um, he would have talked, you know, all night, but the Colonel didn't want us there mm. all night. Mm. And yeah. he, was, he was also quite honest about, you know, admitting that the films were rubbish and the songs were rubbish. And that, um, you know, he was, he was friendly enough. And,
0: and he, he was extremely, extremely handsome, uh, more so uh, around about this period. I think uh, he went through a period, sort of 1968 to 1972, when he was just devastatingly handsome.
1: Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, I didn't realise when I was 16, 15, that he was handsome. Yes. It, it, it never entered my mind. But I mean, he wouldn't, but it didn't. And then when I saw him, I thought, crumbs, this yeah. guy, it, this guy's a real looker. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, his eyes looked small. That, I remember that. It was, it was in between shows, so he was wearing um, makeup, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So his skin was very smooth. And um, he was wearing a date suit he was going to wear again later, so he didn't take it off between shows, obviously. And was, it was just very friendly you know uh, it, it wasn't a great interview in all honesty it wasn't because you know the other guys were sort of chipping in and, and it was sort of just friendly guys chatting really yes um, and him saying obvious things but you know it was Elvis and that and, was interesting
0: and unfortunately you didn't even get time to take a cassette recorder or a tape recorder oh, in um,
1: no because we weren't expecting it and Terry Terry O'Neill photographer had his camera in his in his bedroom I got my tape record in my bedroom and you know we we it never occurred to us that we we're going to get called that second and you'd have to run to the top floor to see him so we didn't record it and uh didn't photograph it terry got some great shots of elvis on stage and um that's a kind of regret for me but there you go yes yeah. um, yeah. and know those days you know not many people were using cassettes uh, but i use them all the time here with the beatles and the stones and people here but i didn't use them that, that big night with Elvis, which is did ironic, you, really.
0: Yeah. Did you, do you did you ever get a chance to discuss Elvis with the Beatles? Paul or John? or
1: With John then all the time. Yeah. Uh, with John a lot. I mean, John was a big fan. I mean, we'd talk about it and we'd argue about, about things we liked, you know, songs we liked. and
0: um, Well, there's, there's some famous quotes from John, isn't there, about uh, without Elvis there'd have been no
1: Beatles? Yeah, that, that's true. And Elvis... Uh, it, it,
0: Elvis Died when he went into the army? I think was
1: another one. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, Mm.
0: actually.
1: I think think he he died when he got stuck in Hollywood. Uh, Because when he came back from the army and did Elvis' back, that was a great album. You know, so he he could still do it. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Just the material. He wasn't being given material that he could do anything with. And this great need for money that he had was endlessly making three films a year. And as he said... How would you find twelve songs for you know three times a year yeah. for an album for these films? And yeah, they can't, could,
0: they can't, they can't all be good.
1: No, um, Basically, most weren't. I,
0: I think one of the things that actually sealed his fate in the sixties was Blue Hawaii. The soundtrack yeah. album sold more than Elvis's back.
1: I know, too bloody successful, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, but, it had, uh, but it had one huge hit. Yeah, "Can't Help Falling in Love" with you. yes that's right yeah and didn't put the big hits on elvis's back they should have put it's now or never on and you know unless they didn't do that and actually most albums in those days would have andy williams sings kong you to losing you and 12 other great songs Uh, that would sell the album too and for some reason they didn't do that they kept the singles quite separate apart from that blue hawaii one when um Wise men say only fools rush in. Well, there was Elvis, yeah. in you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and and another couple of things I think sealed his fate was the uh, they tried a couple of se- semi-serious movies, didn't they? World in the Country, and Flaming Fl- and Flaming Star, and they didn't do as well as the 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 the, 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 the singing ones.
1: But they did okay. They did it's okay. It's, yeah, they didn't make the kind of money that the the, the other ones made. And uh, but with a good manager, yeah, he'd have realized that. He could do one film a year, not three. One film a year, and one great album a year, and maybe three singles. You know, that's mm-hmm. what he should have done. Mm-hmm. And it, and he should have looked at the part. You know, he oh yeah, he admitted he never read the part. He never read the the part. He got the part and was told turn up at a certain time at Burbank Studios, whatever it is, and you, you're going to be called Steve, or whatever you think, or Ray or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and off you go, and he he sort of, but no one ever said, do you like the part, Elvis? It was it, 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 it. was a commodity. He just did what he was told. Instead of sort of saying, I ain't doing this. This is a terrible part. You can't imagine Steve McQueen or Paul Newman, who were stars at the same time, not reading the parts and having the say-so on whether they did it or not. But Elvis had no say-so. He, he, the colonel agreed the film, and that was it. And Elvis had to do it. Tell, I mean, he's extraordinary, a man of his yes, elitics. Yes.
0: I mean, I, I hear fans say to me time after time after time, why didn't he stand up more to Colonel Parker?
1: I know, and we all think this endlessly, and I'm sure it's... A friend of mine in Memphis called Stanley Booth, another writer, he, he said, Ray, he was just terrified. He'd come from dire poverty, really poverty, really poor, and he reckoned that he always thought the Colonel had got him where he was, without the colonel he'd be back where he started and yeah. the colonel and it managed to keep him thinking that yes. and also the colonel had realized early on that elvis liked money not for himself although he did spend massively but he gave it away he liked giving money away yes. uh, and so he had all those people who began living at graceland in trailer homes and stuff relations came up from mississippi and things and then he had all the guys who worked for him you know they all lived around there, and he kept them all. He didn't need, like, 10, 12 people on call all the time, but he liked having them around. He liked having his palace around. And I think the colonel, you know, Elvis paid for everything, and so he needed money to, to keep that kind of lifestyle. A bit like it being a sort of, being, being a king, I mean, king, yeah, but being, you know, a, a kind of king, yeah, of his own little, his own little, little, Country called Graceland and the people that work there, and I, he kind of liked it. I think, and he just needed money to give. And his
0: uh, his father as well was always terrified <clears throat> of going back to poverty yes. as well, and I think the Colonel uh, played on that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Without um,
1: without me, Elvis you would be nothing. Yeah, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, most, you know what Elvis didn't realize that he was a star, not the Colonel. Yeah, he was a star. He had the talent. Anybody could have. I mean, any decent manager could have run Elvis. It, it wasn't, once he got started, it wasn't difficult, you know, mm, because mm. he had so many abilities. But colonel, the colonel manager convinced Elvis that it was through him that he became famous, through him he got on TV. Well, I'm sure he did at first, but the colonel's, the colonel's abilities ran out very quickly, probably even before they got, he went into the army. The colonel was of no use after that at all. About earning him a lot of money.
0: Yes. it's It's been said, actually, that uh, Gladys didn't trust the Colonel. Um, no. And I think the Colonel worked on Vernon to talk her around.
1: Yeah. T- to sign. Probably, I tell you, who else didn't like him? Marion Kaiska. Uh, really?
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. I, I interviewed her, and she sort of said, well, the Colonel talked him into it, or whatever. You know, she was quite d- dismissive, you know. She was she was a nice woman, Marion Kaiska. She yeah. was a, a, a what i didn't know when i interviewed her uh, um, in about 1972 or something um, she was living back in memphis she was uh, she'd been having an affair with with sam phillips yes when she'd found elvis i just thought she worked for him but you up know, what well, she did but she also was having an affair with him because so she was in love with sam which i never realized
0: yeah and uh, i always think that marion uh, doesn't get the credit she deserves no. for it, she, she kept at Sam to get Elvis back in uh, and she kept on and on and on at him so she never really got the credit that she deserved for that
1: No she didn't and she she um, she, she knew stuff you know she was a she was better educated than most people you would expect. she was she' was like a school teacher to be honest then she went into the army didn't she and she met Elvis in Germany yes, yes like, that's right yeah. but when he met her she was like a school teacher. And a sort of I mean a sort of in those days she' had been kind of blonde and glamorous I suppose but when I met her she was she was um, a very very nice lady you know and, <laughs> and she spoke she, she spoke very kindly of his mum and and those sort of people and, and she was she sort of was admitting that you know his mum hadn't had any education and his dad hadn't either so she kind of understood but she always spoke of him as, as being a very very, very polite, extremely polite young man, you know. Yes, uh, I've,
0: heard, I've heard that a lot from people yeah. who have met him. I, I, one funny thing, when he did bump into her in the army, he said, I don't know whether to kiss you
1: or salute oh, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, great line. Yeah. But, um, well, he did kiss, I guess she was very nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, t- tell me about, you actually got to discuss the Elvis shows with uh, Bob Dylan and John Lennon. And what, what did they want to know about the meeting?
1: It was bizarre because um, right after meeting Elvis and, and seeing the shows about three, I think three times, I watched three shows, yeah? Yeah. Um, and then I was going back to England, I was going through New York because I was flying, yeah, and I stopped off in New York and Bob Dylan was going to come to the Isle of Wight Pop Festival that summer, a bit later on, but in about a month's time, and I wanted to get to interview him when he got to England, so I went, I called his manager's office and said what I wanted. He said, oh, I don't know about that, Ray. Why don't you come over to the office? So I go and ran and explained again that when Bob got to England, could I meet him? He said, well, I'm not sure we could do that, but um, what about talking to him now on the phone? I said, now? He said, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, I haven't got any, any questions planned and this is the great Bob Dylan. And I couldn't think of what to say. And so suddenly I said, well, yeah, I suppose so. I think, oh, crumbs. And then suddenly he uh, calls... To his secretary, Jill, will you get Bobby on the phone? Get Bobby back. We want to talk to Ray Connolly from the even, Evening Standard in London. Anyway, okay. So suddenly this voice says, Hello, and it, Bob Dylan. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just sort of thinking, I asked some really dumb questions about all this stuff. And then suddenly I said, Actually, I've just been to see Elvis. Yeah, really? Yeah. I said, what did he sing? What did he play? Were the, were the Jordanaires with him? Did he do the Sun record stuff? Did he do Mystery Train? Did he do That's All Right Mama? Did he and all those questions. Yeah. And uh, was Scotty Moore there? Who was in the band? Yeah, all these things. And he said, I read about it in the New York Times, but they didn't give any of the great details, you know, these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but all of a sudden, we were mates, Bob Bob Dylan and me, because we were talking about the guy we both loved when we were 15, you know? Yes. And, and it it was kind of exciting to talk to him, but not as Bob Dylan, but as just Bob, my mm-hmm. mate Bob, and me and, and, you know, both being Elvis fans, yeah? yeah. So then, so we, I hang up, and it, it was... Not a bad interview. wasn't very good actually. Then they come back to England, and at the time I was seeing a lot of John Lennon uh, for various things, and um, I rang out one Saturday afternoon about a week later, and we were talking about whatever we have been doing. And I said, "I've just been to all Elvis." He said, "What? Really? What did he play? What did he do?" Uh, yeah, all the same questions that Bob Dylan asked. Exactly. <laughs> they could have been. It, they could have been in league almost. But it was. Did you do the Sun Record stuff? Did you do? Um, that's what Blue Sway choose. That's all right, Mama. Oh, yeah. So it was right. real and I realized at that point that that huge superstars are really fans. That's how they start off. And they stay fans all their lives. Yes. It never really goes away. That's because, right. Because they like thinking of themselves how they were when they first heard it and how it changed their lives. Um, and it was astonishing how close the questions were and it, it really you know, John and me are the same age exactly and it was kind of us both talking about how great it was to be that age and to hear this and it does change, it changed my life it changed John's life, it changed uh, Bob Dylan's life you know, um,
0: yeah um, I, One of my favourite things I've ever heard Bob say about Elvis was somebody asked him once what was the highlight of his career yeah. and, and he said when I heard that Elvis had recorded one of my songs well, I can understand that, you know. It was uh, um, tomorrow. Was a long time.
1: And didn't do, Elvis do a great a great job on it? You know, I mean, yes. he did a really really good job. Um, I think he copied. I think he the the accompaniment was copied of Odette, Odetta, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, I think, I think that's right. I yeah. think that's
1: where that came from. But that's where that's where he heard the song. I think Odetta had, had a thing. Odetta sings Bob Dylan, and he liked that one. And at the time, he didn't. He only recorded mainly songs written specially for him, you know, by people that worked for you know Elvis Presley music, whatever they were, they, these mm-hmm. writers. Mm-hmm. And, but suddenly, he did that, and he, at the same session he did that the Hawaiian song "I Remember You," and he did "Down in Down in the Alley." That's right. That's yeah. Right. Uh, and,
0: that's, and later, he did uh, "Don't Think Twice, It's All
1: Right." Which I've always liked, and people say it's too. Uh, it is a lot faster, but I've always because he was just warming up.
0: He was. Hello. It was and more. Just, it, it was more of a studio jam, and they just happened to turn yeah. the tape on because there's a big long uh, take available on an album I have, and it goes on for something like eight or nine minutes. But it was edited yeah. down to two and a half minutes for release.
1: Yeah, but he, but he um, he didn't really know all the words, either. He just came. Yeah, in
0: bit. <laughs> he was he was definitely freewheeling it. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: but at the same time. It was far better than any of the other songs recorded at that session. I think. Oh, if look, yes. Oh, yes. But, but because he liked the song and he wanted to do it and he, he just enjoyed singing it. And that's so important with these people.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Again, it was down to him believing in the song.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a shame that, it's just a really shame that, you know, he didn't sort of say, listen do do a few more of these and, and, and record them properly and we'll sit down and work out how we're going to do them instead of them all, them all joining in and singing it. There ain't no use to no, you know, it would was, it be was fantastic. Uh, and that's why you sort of think that if he'd had more confidence in himself, he'd have insisted, he'd have said, listen, I like these things, I'm going to do them, you know. I think towards the end of his career, he was doing just what he wanted pretty well because they had to go along with it, because he wouldn't do anything else. Mm. So you, mm. you got to do better tracks. But um, but the,
0: the the number of times that he went against uh, Parker uh, was the nineteen sixty eight uh, comeback special. Yes, Parker, pa- yeah. pa- Parker just wanted uh, thirty Christmas songs, and then that was Another. it. And he went against it. Another time was uh, Chips moment in the Memphis uh, studios. Yeah. He again he went against the Colonel, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, so if only he just stood up to the Colonel a bit more.
1: Well, except that Chip's moment never, ever got to record him ever again. That's right. You know? And also the guy that um, Elvis talked to, what was, what was the guy's name who did the, who did the 68 special? Because um, I spoke to him.
0: Yeah. Oh, S- 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 Steve Binder.
1: Steve Binder said, was telling me how when he and Elvis were working together and Elvis said, well, listen, maybe we can do something else together later on, you and me, after this. Steve said, yeah, great. But Steve never got the chance, you know it, I mean well, he, he rang up and didn't get he, Elvis even gave him his own his own phone number, but but when Steve rang him, he got somebody else and was fobbed off, you know okay. I thought, oh bloody, you know.
0: And also uh, Steve tells a story of when he turned up at Elvis's dressing room. It was probably the 1969 uh, comeback. Yeah. Yeah. and yeah. again, he wasn't let in. No
1: no, I'm not,
0: it, I'm not I'm not even convinced that Elvis knew he was there to see him because I don't it, think Elvis would have turned Steve away.
1: He wouldn't have shown so many people away. He just n- never knew. There, was, there were blocks. There were blocks all around him. The colonel was making sure that no one got too close to him. Mm. You know, I talked to um, Mike Stoller, you know, Lieberman Stoller. Mm. I do. And they, uh, this was probably 20 years ago, I talked to my in New York, and um, he was saying that um, the colonel sent him a, a contract. They, they were going to write a lot more for Elvis. And it was a blank sheet of paper. just. And he said, just sign it. And he said, what do you mean, just sign it? And he said, well, sign it. And I'll fill in the details later. Yeah. And they thought, no way. We're not complete idiots. Yeah. Uh, and so they never wrote another song for Elvis. Elvis recorded a few more songs they'd written because they'd have been on, like, Girls, Girls, Girls and things. they had have been on, on, you know. But um, what a waste, you know. And my friend... M- Mort Schumann, um, who was a big friend of mine and lived in England for a while, we worked together on things that never got off, but here is the latest flame, and Morty said, you know, we never got a phone call from Elvis. The only time he got a call was they were recording his latest flame, and they couldn't quite get the beat right. Ding, 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 ding that one. Yeah. Uh, and it's really bo-diddly, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, he, and he said, I played it on the piano down the phone to them and explained, ding, 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 ding. Anyway, which is bizarre because they were all truck musicians. But he said, <laughs> but Elvis never, ever got in touch with us. And they'd have been thrilled to speak to him. But I you think... Know- there was a wall around him. There's a wall right around Elvis the whole time.
0: Yes, yeah. He, he was he was a, a snowman, wasn't he? Which is like a snow job, yeah. where they just baffle yeah. you with with uh, with the snow. Like, you know, uh, yeah. The Snowman's League. He 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 always yeah. said he had a club called the Snowman's League, didn't he? Yeah. And, and uh, people could get a handbook, a Snowman's <laughs> League handbook. And when you opened it, the pages yeah. were just blank.
1: Yeah. I had breakfast with him a couple of, uh, one morning in Las Vegas, and. Uh, I forgot, and at the end of it, the bill comes, and he says, "Well, I won't um, humiliate you by paying for your breakfast or whatever. Well, I won't compromise you by paying for your breakfast," and just walked away. So I paid for the, I paid for both both of our breakfasts. I thought, <laughs> what a cheap! I don't know. He thought yeah. it was funny, but I just thought, yeah.
0: I uh, know he loved to freeload. I've heard that he loved to freeload. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I. I could. I could say a lot more, but
1: uh. <laughs> he was a monster. Yeah. A, to, a total monster.
0: Uh, do. Do you. Uh, do you know the. Uh, the writer Alan and Nash?
1: I've spoken. I've spoken to her on the phone, and we've been in touch. But I don't know her. But I. I know that she was. She wrote a book about the Colonel, and they were going to film it. And now they're making another film that she didn't write. That's that she, right. That's yeah, crazy. and she's really upset now. She wrote to me and said how upset she was.
0: I'm hoping because, to speak to Alan uh, in a few uh, weeks, actually. She's offered to come on. Because, uh, yeah, she did Elvis and the Colonel, but she also did uh, Revelations from the Memphis Mafia as well, which is uh, Billy Smith and Marty Lacker. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, yeah, Lamar Fike. It's it's almost like an Elvis Bible, actually. You know, yeah. anything you want to know, you can refer to that.
1: Yeah. Oh, she's she's excellent. Yeah. be really, really excellent. I
0: would agree. But she said something about, about uh, Parker. He always liked to keep you on your toes, you know, keep you guessing about him. He could never be straight. He could never give you a straight answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think he was um, a horrible man, in, in all honesty. In fact, Alana asked me, what did I think of him? And I said, I didn't like him. <laughs> Yeah, she said, no, I didn't either. But uh, you know.
0: I, I think he strangled Elvis artistically, especially in the sixties yeah. movies. It was just—it was just for now money. That's all it was for now money. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Just, just do it now, and let's let's get the money and get out before the boy, you know, before people lose interest. But people no. never lost interest. He no. didn't. He didn't get it. He didn't understand that this fellow had something extraordinary.
0: He did. I agree. Uh,
1: I often wonder what it was exactly about the voice that was extraordinary, and I kind of think it's like the voice of America, in that he could sing anything. He could sing anything, and it it worked. It um, didn't just swing, but he, you know it could be blues or country or mock opera or whatever or ballads or anything. And there's, there must be something in the voice that is kind of it gets through gets through to the listener he used to say he would study the lyrics very very carefully and he would underline during the recording sessions the words that he thought were really important mm-hmm. and this is what real artists do i think Frank Natter does the same thing they would they would say i've got to get this emotion across at this point and this makes a difference to the song it isn't just a guy with a good voice singing it. it's a guy with a voice that can that can get through to people and elvis did that par excellence
0: it's it's always amazed me his his the fascination and the draw that people still have with Elvis and he, I mean it's what it'll be forty three years this August yeah. I think since he passed, and uh, you know he's he's <laughs> he's still gaining new fans to this day.
1: Yeah, yeah, because he could do it. <laughs> that helps, you know. He, but you know, some some of the records I really, really, I, I very rarely play the records to be honest. But I like some of those things like. Um, Anything that's part of you—that's That's, oh, a big, yes. that's yes. such a moving record, Much a yeah. moving song. A mm-hmm. great song written by was it by Bob Robertson? I, I think, think it. Was.
0: I think it probably was. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Don, no, Don Robertson. I think it is. John, it Don, no, no.
1: It was Bob. It wasn't Don. It Bob. Was Bob, it all right? Bob's the guy that worked with Bob Dylan. All right, right.
0: And there was another one as well. There's always me. That's another yes, great ballad as good, well. Sweet.
1: Yeah, uh, that period was actually, although you know, John Lennon said it. Elvis was dead then he wasn't he was doing some good stuff but not as consistently as he'd done it earlier you know yes
0: what how how do you feel about the the last few years of elvis's life i I mean i'm sure you watched it the same as everybody else you saw the the very fast decline after about 73 74
1: yeah it was you know a a guy I, i did a documentary on james dean once and he said well it was as good. It was good that James Dean died so young because, in truth, he couldn't let you down. Any he couldn't let you down. And in a way, when Elvis died, he couldn't let us down any more because he, he let us down so much. Uh, but now and again, there'd be. I mean, I played the last farewell the other day. I thought, how well he sang it, it on that final album. I think the last album. Album, I think. You know. Yes. And he sang it really well. And you sort of think, why couldn't he do this more often? Why couldn't he actually? But of course, he wasn't. He was, you know. Stupor a lot of the time, um, and he'd lost interest in his career, it lost interest in everything, dating a girl who was like 18 or something, you know, yes, with whom he had nothing in common. And he was a there's a kind of prison about being a kind of prison about being that gigantically famous, but it's like I said before, but it he, he was famous for who he was, not for what he was doing anymore. I, I'm sure a lot of those fans didn't really know about Mystery Train and I'm right, you're left, she's gone. They weren't interested in that. They're just seeing Elvis on stage mm. and it's like sort of saying, you know. And I, and I think he he never realised himself how good he was. He didn't know how good he was. He didn't know what he had. He didn't know the abilities he had. And that's kind of sad. I think he was incredibly sad the last three years of his life.
0: Yes, it, it, I think I think you're probably right. You can tell just by looking at him, that he was deeply unhappy. He was depressed. I believe he was depressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, he, they couldn't get him into a recording studio. They had to take yeah. the recording studio to him because you mentioned uh, yeah. the last album. That was actually recorded in the Jungle Room in Graceland, wasn't it? Yep,
1: yeah. yep. Yeah. And, you know, it was all right. But, you know, it, <laughs> there was, uh, I, I think, the other song I quite liked on that one was that, um, boom, was the late, great, Oh, what was it? What's his name? Forever, my darling, I love.
0: Oh you... yes, yes, pledging my love. Yes, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah.
1: And the late great Johnny, Johnny, who was it? Who, oh. who first sang that? <laughs> oh. I'm not too sure. I can't remember. It'll come in a minute if I keep talking. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And that was one, you know, the interesting thing about a lot of those things were the, the, the best ones on them, on those late albums, were songs he dug out from, from his childhood, virtually, from his early teens. And, you know, Shake a Hand, there's another one. Yeah, you know, mm. but they're sort of mm. bluesy things that he, he just liked to do. And I, I kind of like them, but, you know, um, yeah. Sad, isn't it? It's really sad.
0: Um, if you were to... If I was to ask you one question, what killed Elvis Presley? What would you say?
1: outrageous fame. Mm. Mm.
0: I think I, was, I think it was a combination of things. I mean, first of all, his unique and utter lifestyle that he had to endure. There was no roadmap. there was no blueprint for what he had to go through. No.
1: Well, he was the first he was really the first rock star. And he yes, was. That's, I mean, right. that's there, right. There'd been nothing like that any before him. so there were no rules and he made it up as he went along and he made it up in many ways very badly for lot of his career mm. from like 61 to to 68 in films he was terrible i mean you know he threw away all his abilities and you think um i mean when the beatles met him they always talk about how um i think uh they said why don't you do things like my baby left me as some rock and roll thing he said well i'm, I'm Maybe I will uh, next time. And hmm. John Lennon said, "Well, if, if if you do, we'll buy them." You yes, know? yes. And, it, and he said the same to me that because I said my favorite is Elvis's back, and uh, he said that, um, yeah, we like that too. Maybe we'll do another one like that, but I don't think he ever did. You know, at that time.
0: Um, yeah. So uh, apart from just the unique lifestyle that he, he he lived, I would think also boredom killed him. Yeah, bored
1: um, <laughs> with being Elvis yeah
0: yeah because did did he did he not say that at, at one time I'm so tired of being Elvis
1: yes yeah which you can understand because you know you don't get a you didn't when you're Elvis the only people who act normally to you are your family and even they don't act that normally to you because you' you're the provider of everything yeah. so um I always
0: say as well I think his life would have turned out completely and utterly different had Gladys survived.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One interesting thing, I always like the story about the maid who he'd sing hymns with. There was a, you know, Yes. It's always kind of interesting how uh, in those in those southern towns on the very rich always have black maids. Yeah? Yes. And uh, and he'd sit at the piano and play whatever they were and the maid there would sing along with him, you know, and it's kind of, he'd say, come and sing with me, you know. And it's people like that that he would feel much more comfortable with than um, than the the fans harping around, you know, and, and all the all, all the all the girls who were sort of hanging about. You know, you always get those girls. Um, but he was probably more comfortable in those sort of situations when he was just an ordinary person wanting to sing. He, he didn't you
0: know. he didn't like to mix with the Hollywood crowd. He was never big into the Hollywood crowd even when he was making movies in the sixties. He, no, just had, he just he just had no time for it.
1: But also they 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 didn't encourage it. You know, he didn't know any film directors or, or any film writers or anybody. Mm. So when he thought about leaving the colonel, he thought, "Well, how will I get jobs?" He didn't he had no idea. Uh, and that's kind of bizarre because most people who work in, in films, you get to know the directors and writers and you know that's and right. have relationships. He never did. Well,
0: again, that was Parker not wanting him to know and, yeah, know and make friends. Yeah.
1: Because you know, there are They were, you know, quite intelligent, bright, funny, witty, amusing people to hang out with. But he never did. So as soon as they finished, he'd get back in his car and go back to his own mates and things. Which is, in a way, laudable in one sense. But you're missing out on an awful lot, you know.
0: Mm. Yes, yeah. Um, Did you, or have you ever been to Graceland?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went on the tour, went there. um, And... Have you been recently? No, this is probably about, I don't know, 15 years ago?
0: Right, right. I, yeah, I can't I, remember. I was there myself in 2002. But it's yeah. been, there's been sweeping changes recently, hasn't there? The, 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 they've rebuilt the, a lot of the complex over the road, and they've also yeah. built a, yeah. uh, a guest house as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. It'll hideous. I mean, what I was amazed at when I got there was it's, it's on such a busy road. Of course, when he bought it, it was way out of town. Yes. Because, of course, Memphis, is like everything else in the world, has got bigger and bigger and bigger. And there are gas stations just down the road and, and there are lots of shops selling Elvis junk, you know, and all that sort of thing. And he must have looked out of the window and thought, this wasn't how I imagined it when I first bought it. Hmm. But, you know, it was his home. That's mm-hmm. right,
0: that's right. Well, he, he bought it for his mother and father. And there's yeah. qu- there's questions about, you know, ha- had Elvis lived, would he have sold Graceland and all that? But I don't think he would have because, like I say, yeah. he, he, he bought it for his mother.
1: But the awful thing was that, that um, it was um, had a big upkeep for all that. But, uh, I mean, the people who lived there, a lot of people lived there. And, of course, when when um, he died, some of them had to leave, you know, because, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they had either... They had either in little homes or trailer homes there, and they had to go, you know, and they just got kicked out, which Elvis wouldn't have done. He would have never had that kind of nerve. to. And be so cruel. I mean, quite cruel to sort of say, because these people, their lives were Elvis. They had nothing else. Yes. They were not highly educated, didn't have any other good jobs or great skills or things they could do. He'd have been their meal ticket, and of course they were devoted, but of course when he died, they were all kicked out
0: yeah I remember Lamar Lamar Fike, uh, one of his friends said he, he he didn't know what to do with himself for years after Elvis died. He just no. you know because he had no other he just didn't there was nothing else for him to do.
1: <laughs> no well you know they hadn't had to even learn how to do anything because you know they they joined Elvis very early on in in their careers and they hadn't learned how to be top engineers or whatever you know.
0: Mm-hmm. I know Lamar was very, very bitter about Elvis's death. Um, yes because he was he was on he was an advanced man and he was actually in portland maine where yeah. elvis was supposed to start uh the tour the day after the 16th on the 17th of august uh, and uh, when the colonel broke the news to lamar he said well you finally did it didn't you you worked him into the ground yeah so
1: yeah he well, was he did. Very bitter. yeah he did I mean, yeah but it's, it's you know when you look at that finally Elvis in concert and the film that the CBS were doing at the time, you know, mm. it, what, this man should be in the hospital. He yes. shouldn't, be, shouldn't be on tour. I mean, yeah. he, he just looked terrible. And it's heartbreaking to see someone who five years earlier had been so gifted and handsome and, and, you know, enjoying his work or six years earlier maybe, mm. you know, or when I met him seven years earlier, whatever. But, and suddenly he, he just... Blown up and he's sweating and mm. he's oh, he's struggling.
0: Um, Todd Slaughter, who uh, ran yeah. the uh, the UK uh, fan club, uh, he met him in Indianapolis, didn't he, that before the very final concert, uh, to give him a uh, trophy, and he was also presented with a record for the pressings of Moody Blue. Oh uh, yeah. And Todd uh, got a good close look at him, and he said he wasn't well at all. He didn't look no. well at all.
1: No. And uh, you sort of think if if a man is so if you're a manager and, and a guy is so ill, what are you doing? You know, um, sending him out on tour looking like that. And anyway, we can't we can't change anything.
0: No, we can't. Sadly, we can't. We we often we often wish we had a time machine where we could go back and and warn Elvis. But would he have listened? Probably not. Well, not to us,
1: but he may have listened to somebody else. Um, well, I mean, there's, well, there's. The, the, what he needed was actually, instead of that sort of string of young women, someone his own age who, who, who could talk to him, you know. But um, I guess it's impossible for those sort of things. I think they just, I've been around rock and roll a lot, you know, and, and it's, it's very hard for them to get someone who isn't a fan or, or isn't in it for the money hanging around with you, you know, and... Uh, it really is. I, I, I just think that they never know. You never know, is it me she likes, really, or is it because I'm this famous superstar and I've got this lovely voice or whatever. They never know.
0: Yes, that's
1: it, right. It, it, well, that's why Linda McCartney, you know, she really did love Paul. Um, and she just did, you know. And he, I'm sure he's a difficult man to to live with sometimes, but he was, but, um, and you know, anyway.
0: Are you yeah. are you uh, are you ever in touch with Paul these days? or not? No, 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 no. He no. was very
1: kind. I think for my Elvis book, he put a thing on the front, sort of thing, how important Elvis was. But yeah, uh, no, uh, I don't make any attempt to be, to be honest, to be in touch with any of them, um, because you know um, that was a job. I was doing a job, Yes. I was a fan, I, you know, when we when I was in America with John Lennon quite a lot um, he'd always say he'd introduce me oh this is Ray he's a friend of ours from England I'd never say I was a friend of John Lennon's he would I'd never say that because I always think that, well yeah I was a friend we're very friendly and we're very pally over several years and talk on the phone a lot and all these things but at the end of the day he's a world superstar and I'm a journalist and you never he didn't know my family like I knew his, right? Mm-hmm. He'd say, why well, don't you bring your wife? But he didn't know a name, you know. Well, I knew his wife, and I knew his, his son and his former wife, you know.
0: Yes. And it's
1: not the same. And you have to remember that when you're a journalist.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So when I read about things, I mean, the Daily Mail would put in, in um, you know, this um, Ray Conley, who was, a, who was a friend of the Beatles. Well, I was on good friendly terms with them, but I wasn't a bosom friend, yes. you know. Yeah. They'd ring me when they wanted me, wanted something. I mean, Paul rang me and John would ring me when, when they had something they they wanted to say and I'd spend time with them and we'd then talk about whatever, mainly about rock and roll or whatever. But um, I wouldn't turn to them and say, listen, I've got a problem. Can you help me? No? We, I would with a friend.
0: Now, for, for people that don't know, you've actually written uh, a few books uh, uh, connected with the Beatles or uh, John Lennon. There's uh, Sorry Boys, You Failed the Audition, uh, Your sales uh yeah uh, being John Lennon a restless life and yeah. then also Ray Connolly uh, Beatles archive
1: yeah yeah and um, uh, tell me the, t- t-
0: tell me about uh, sorry boys you failed the audition that, that's a very well, interesting title
1: well yeah uh, I always like the, the the road not travel theory of life you know um, you know, we all have choices in our lives. Things happen, or we go one way, or we go another way. And I thought, what would have happened to the Beatles if George Martin had turned them down in 1962? If they hadn't recorded Let Me Do? If he said, "Sorry, boys, you're not really you fail the audition," and I thought, well, I'm going to give them different lives. So I wrote. a so it's is a novella. It's only like 25,000 words long, and I I invented their lives, and I, I I saw it all through the eyes of a fan club secretary a girl called Frida, who I'm still friendly with, and um, I thought, sort of, you know, Paul would have gone to college, obviously, uh, and done English, but he was always going to be a singer, He's always going to be a songwriter. John would have been a sort of bohemian in Liverpool for a bit, and I think George would have been a sort of guitarist who um, who was for hire, probably. Ringo would have won the pools, because he was always lucky. And then I thought, well, I'll write a story about that, and, and I'll work out how Frida, the secretary, can't give up on the idea that they could have been something. They could have been contenders. They could have been famous. So, and then you have to read the story to find out what happens. But basically, that's what it was. And it, it was. Um, I'm really proud of it. I wanted it to be. A, it was. It was a radio play on BBC for a while. It's been on several times actually. And I was hoping it would be a stage show. Uh, it's not happened yet. Because it's very okay. hard to get rights to some of the music. Mm-hmm. They're expensive. But, you know, it, it isn't all over yet. That's that one. Um,
0: and then there was Being John Lennon, A Restless Life.
1: I did one first on, on Elvis being. Yeah,
0: that's right. I was going to come to that. Yeah, Being Elvis, A Lonely Life. Yeah. And
1: then Restless Life. I wanted, well, you know, when you spend a lot of time with people, you get to know them pretty well. And I always thought when, after John died, and I was going to go and see John the day he died, so it's one of those things where, you know, I didn't. Mm. Um, he, um, you, I always felt unhappy about the way he was being portrayed, the way he became a saint, the way Yoko turned John into a martyr and a saint and all that. And I thought, well, John wasn't a saint. John was a miserable bugger sometimes. He'd it, <laughs> be very cruel and all these other things, but, you know, I liked him because, you know, you, We got on really well. And uh, I wanted to be honest about him. And I thought always that John was jealous of Paul. I always did. Um, And, you know, so I wanted to write as honest a book as I could about John. And I did, I think. I mean, I was quite proud of of how honest I was. Some people thought I was a bit unkind on him. I wasn't because I was very fond of him. But I had to be honest because otherwise there's no point in it. So and, And some of the other books, I've read quite a few of them. Well, I thought, well, that wasn't really John, you know. It wasn't much like John. John wasn't like that, you know. Mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. so I did that.
0: So we, we we just touched on that as well. You uh, before uh, the John Lennon book, you did uh, being Elvis, a lonely life. Uh, but we we probably covered most of the topics that in in that anyway.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think great fame is a and for him incredibly lonely because. Before, I mean, the Beatles, I mean, John said this, actually, there were four of us, there were four Beatles, but Elvis was on his own, Mm. must have been murder, and John Mm. said that, Mm. Um, and I thought, yes, it's true, and it's an incredibly lonely life, because you've no one to share it with, you're the only one, you've got to get up there on stage by yourself, murder. You know? mm. And
0: so, so just uh, away from the Elvis topic, uh, for, for people that don't know, you also wrote the screenplays for the films that'll be the day and the sequel Stardust, uh, starring uh, David Essex.
1: Yeah, it, yes, that was another lucky break for me. Uh, David Putnam, the producer, was my, my good, good friend at the time, and, he's, and uh, I went to actually I went to borrow a book from David Putnam on. Elvis, the, the Jerry Hopkins autobiography, or biography, yeah? And while I was there, Davia said, um, I got the book, because he'd bought one in New York, and he got an early one. And he said, what else are you doing? I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, do you want to write a film for me? And that day, we sort of sat down together, and we planned that be the day. So it was over a cup of tea, or several cups of tea, a lot of biscuits in his, his, his dining room. And then for the next few months, he'd come round to my house every day, and... I wrote this screenplay about this guy who's really very, very, um, well, he's totally selfish. The David Essex character is really selfish. And um, uh, we, we thought, to get this film made, you've got to have find someone who is really, very likable. And then David Putnam went to see uh, Godspell in the West End in London. And he phoned me and said, I think we found our boy. This guy, David Essex, is so good looking that people will forgive him anything. So that's how David Essex got into that of the day. And then that came out and we, we, it was, was made and was successful. We, and we had Ringo in it and yes. Billy Fury and other people. And then um, David, again, David said, we should do a sequel. And I said, well, it, you know, it is now, yeah. I mean, it was on the way of coming out. And he said, well, he said, no, they'll they'll be demanding a sequel when they see it. So I thought, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they were, actually. And so we then planned Stardust, which is a different different kind of film because it's about a a rock star. And at the time, a lot of people, I was writing for The Evening Standard, a lot of people were dying. Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, you know, um, of drug overdoses. And it kind of seemed that I had to end it on a downer. And at the end of the film, David Essex's character Overdoses, and people said you know this is going <clears> to <throat> this is going to sort of um, sort of a downer ending will it kill the film well, it didn't because people liked it I, mm-hmm. actually and it was at the same time it was David Putnam and me who were had young families at the time and we were both very anti-drugs and always were and I still am yes. and he, so is he and I, I wanted the message to get across that you know drugs kill uh, and I'd written so many obituaries Uh, And of people whom I knew, and so I was quite pleased to get that in, and it was another big hit. So that was nice for me, and nice for David Putnam too, that made his career, started his career going and helped me no end.
0: Well, that'll be the day is one of my favourite films. I have to watch it at least once a year because I Thank think it's such, I think it's such a great film. It's back on DVD. <laughs> ah, right, right. For anybody that's interested, that'll be the day is back on DVD. Uh, and also, if anybody is interested, El, uh, the book that Ray has written called "Being Elvis: A Lonely Life" is available on Amazon and in all good bookshops.
1: As but the best the- one you should but the one you should get is "Sorry Boys, You You Fail the Audition" because I think people will really like that one. A very big thanks
0: once again to Ray for his fascinating interview. You can contact me with any comments or suggestions for future episodes on email at ElvisTheUltimateFanChannel at gmail.com. This podcast can be heard on all good podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Podbean and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me next time on Elvis The Ultimate Fan Channel podcast. Elvis has left the building. Thank you and good afternoon.